Hi, this is Jeff Thigpen, Guilford County Register of Deeds. And I'm Carly Malcolm, lead for North Carolina Fellow for Guilford County from the UNC School of Government. And welcome to the Good Grief Podcast. Have you ever lost a loved one and had to figure out what to do? Have you ever felt alone and overwhelmed? Did it make you wonder why on earth this is all so complicated? In this podcast series, we bring together community partners to talk unapologetically about issues of death and dying. We answer questions about funerals, hospice, estates, and more to give our listeners the knowledge they need to make decisions for themselves and their loved ones. We want everyone in Guilford County to know that they're supported, that we live in a community where we cannot only live and live well, but when we die, we can also die well because we care. So we thank you for joining us for the Good Grief Podcast and for taking this step to be better prepared for end-of-life challenges. Welcome to the Good Grief Podcast. I'm Jeff Bigpen, Guilford County Register of Deeds, with Carly Malcolm, Lead for NC Fellow from the UNC Institute of Government. Today we have Lisa Lundine. She is a chaplain uh, at Moses Cone Cancer Center here in Greensboro. Lisa is a board-certified chaplain, originally from Chapel Hill, and she's lived in Greensboro for about 20 years now. She graduated from Guilford College with majors in environmental studies in German and earned her master's in divinity from Earlham School of Religion in Richmond, Indiana. Prior to becoming a chaplain, she held several informal educational roles, from public school outreach to parent and child care provider education. She did two chaplain residencies at Moses Cone, then worked for three years at Women's Hospital, and has been a lead chaplain at the Cone Health Cancer Center for almost five years. Welcome, Lisa. Glad to have you with us today. Thank you. I'm so grateful to get to be here with you. Lisa, what inspired you to become a chaplain and uh, specifically to work in the cancer center? Well, that's a funny question because (laughs) inwardly it felt a bit like an accident. (laughs) And I'll say more about that. When I went to seminary, I knew that I was really drawn to supporting people through spiritual growth and reflection and also hard times in their lives. But the reason I did two chaplain residencies was really for personal and pastoral and professional formation. That is to go deeper into how to care for people well. And even after the second residency, I still wasn't specifically planning to be a chaplain. But as it turns out, my experience of practicing hands-on ministry in lots of really challenging situations throughout the health system really formed me into a chaplain. And so later, when the women's hospital chaplain retired, it was clear to me that I was called to apply to do this professionally. And so it continued from there. Now, I switched to the cancer center in part because the position was full-time and in deeper part because it allows me to have longer ongoing relationships with patients and families. In many other settings within the health system, they are event-based encounters. Someone has been admitted to the hospital because they have a need. And in the cancer center, it's a long-term process of coping and healing and managing. And I just really value getting to know people over time. How does end-of-life issues factor into your job? Well, 
In lots of ways. We all know that a cancer diagnosis can take a lot of different paths and different paths over time from this is early stage and we're on a curative track and think we can get rid of this thing to this particular diagnosis isn't curable, this kind of disease we don't have a cure for. And so it's a matter of learning to live with, either through treatment or through watch and wait. And then there are cancer experiences that involve a spread of cancer in a situation that can be treated palliatively, as we say, which is managing symptoms to promote the best quality of life. And there are times when a diagnosis either starts out or eventually becomes a terminal situation. And so end of life could get stirred up, though, in a lot of ways because anyone who gets a cancer diagnosis runs <laughs> smack into their mortality. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The C word is a game changer in how people think about life and living. And so regardless of what their clinical outcome may be, the questions about how am I living and what's important to me and will this take my life are all out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's the the psych the psychological uh, impact of the C word. Then there's the you know the assessment, and then you know you're dealing with the emotional weight of that and the psychological weight and almost the stigma in many cases. And then you practically have to settle into okay, is this immediate surgery? Is it you know how's the treatment plan going along with this? And and I totally appreciate that idea of going into that field in terms of building a relationship with people who are dealing with this because in many cases, there are many different places in the continuum of management of care and they do need that support, you know, in terms of navigating through. It's really interesting about you being in there as the clinical chaplain there. I had a member of my family who actually went through there. We got a great deal of support. I don't think we ever met, but from the nursing staff, from the doctors and and people who were there really supported our family in a way that we really appreciated it. I'm grateful that you had that support, and that's really important to us as a team. And that's why we're so lucky that we have people from so many different disciplines who work at the Cancer Center so that together we can be the village that a family may need to move through whatever their particular experiences will turn out to be. In terms of end of life, there are times when I walk with people through the end, and I see people as they make different choices in their treatment or they find that treatment isn't working anymore. I sometimes help people with advanced care planning and advanced directives specifically. The legal pieces of of making arrangements and saying what's important to me and my end-of-life care and who might speak for me if needed. And there are times when I have visited people even in a hospice home because I have become their clergy. They may not have their own clergy, and I have become their person, and maintaining that relationship is really important, especially at the end of life. And there are times when I help people plan memorial services for themselves or others. In the times of COVID, I have been involved in a Zoom memorial service. I have done socially distanced masked graveside service. There are, there are lots of ways and layers that I might um, plug into. Yeah. And so when you walk, you know, all the way through that journey with someone, what has that taught you about the process of grieving and how to help folks through their grief? Well, 
you know, used to be standard that we talked about stages of grief. And now we really understand that grieving doesn't follow a single line. Grieving is messy and complicated. I think of it as coming in waves, like at the ocean. So, you know, you may be carrying along just fine and feeling like, okay, I'm having a good day. And then, whoosh, you know, you, you're suddenly underwater with sand in your mouth. Right. That's some of my personal experience with grieving. So really honoring that, honoring the variability, honoring that different feelings, anger, frustration, hurt, betrayal, all kinds of things come out. All our unresolved issues can come out. We as humans need a lot of gentleness and care through grief. I think the biggest thing that we can really do is sit down beside someone and ask, how are you holding up? What I'm really driving at is, how is it with your soul? Though that may <laughs> feel like an awfully big question to people. <laughs> yeah. But rather than our temptation culturally is to try to fix it. You know, we want to make people feel better. We want to cheer them up. But people in the thick of grief don't want to be cheered up. In fact, they can't be cheered up. And so rather than doing what I have started to call fluffing, which is when people kind of pat at you and they say, honey, baby, sugar, darling, you're going to be fine. Rather than doing that, sitting and just saying, How, how's it going? Or saying, you know, I remember something about your loved one that was really special to me. Can I tell you about it? Asking that permission is helpful because a person may want to say yes later or may say, of course, that would be so helpful to me. So what would you say to somebody who's facing a terminal cancer diagnosis, either for themselves or maybe for a loved one? That's a good question because I think my first response would be not to say something, but to ask something. Mm. Again, you know, wow, that feels really big. How is that sitting with you right now? What are you doing with that? How do you feel? And if it's a new diagnosis or a, a new change in their path, numbness is really common. It feels surreal. I can't really wrap my mind around it. I can't believe it's actually happening are all common responses. And then later on, as it becomes more familiar and we have more time to digest, then people get to some more um, of the feelings and the questions about what am I going to do and how am I going to live and how am I going to say goodbye? And so as I become more aware of where someone is in their particular process, then I may come alongside them with some of those other questions. One of the big things that I think about related to a cancer diagnosis, especially when it becomes terminal, is where is hope and what are you hoping in? What are you hoping for? And in cancer, we tend to think about hope as hope for a cure, but there are times when it's not curable. And so hope becomes a moving target. Hope may become, I really want to participate in this life event of someone who's important to me. I want to be present for a wedding or a graduation or another milestone. Hope might be, I want to have a peaceful death and I want to be comfortable. Hope might be, 
I want to reconcile with someone I've had a conflict with and really tell them that they're important to me and I'm sorry. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like your role in a way is helping to support and facilitate helping them be fully present into themselves and and being present to what they see as the reality of the situation they're in and seeing that soberly and also be supported. And I appreciate the idea of you asking the questions and especially it's kind of what are you hoping into? I think that is a powerful question because so often in these situations, people can so easily feel alone and afraid and not Mm -hmm. knowing and Mm -hmm. unsupported. And what uh, counseling and support group services are available to the patients uh, and their families? Oh, we have several different layers of support available. We have a whole patient and family support center downstairs at the cancer center. And we have several teammates who are part of that work group. I'm the chaplain, so I provide spiritual and emotional support. We have social workers who are really good with helping with practical problems and also providing emotional care. We have registered dietitians who specifically focus on oncology and needs that come up within the cancer experience. We have genetic counselors who help people with genetic testing and understanding their results. And we have an amazing relationship with UNCG's counseling and education program. And usually each year we have one or two counseling interns who are finishing their master's or doctorates and provide free counseling for individuals or for couples or for families. There is no cost for our counseling. There's no cost for spiritual care that people are able to receive these appointments regardless of ability to pay. And that can make a tremendous difference in accessibility, especially because cancer treatment is just so expensive. And I want to highlight a couple other pieces of what you're asking too. That's our support team, but we also have a number of support groups. We have some that are based on particular types of cancer, like prostate cancer, breast cancer, blood cancer, gynecological cancer, gastrointestinal cancer, and those tend to be closed groups just for patients. We also have, especially in a time of COVID, when life is so isolating and a cancer diagnosis is extra isolating because folks often have compromised immune systems due to their treatment, we have found that to breach that isolation, offering some discussion-based support groups is very valuable because people just want to share and connect. And sometimes it's nice to talk about meaningful things that aren't specifically cancer, but within a framework of people who understand what some of the underlying issues or concerns might be. And those support groups are all free as well. And finally, we have an utterly awesome relationship with a community partner organization called Hirsch Wellness that has an office and a studio at Revolution Mill. And although we are not meeting in person right now, they are still providing via Zoom classes in Tai Chi, in yoga, in lots of different visual arts, in poetry writing, in book studies. And I can't tell you how rewarding it is to have someone say, I don't want to participate in a healing arts group. I'm a stick figure person. That's not my thing. And then they brave it 
And then they hold up this thing that they made with such pride. Look what I created. (laughs) And that matters so much because loss of control is such a stressor, particularly in the cancer experience. And so to be able to see I created something in my own power goes a long way toward healing and inspiring people. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a lot of different kinds of resources for people to choose from. How can somebody get connected with those resources? Lots of different ways. Our nurses and physicians encourage and make referrals. We have a big mailing list that we're always adding to to make sure that folks are getting this updated information each month. Um, We in the support center make referrals to our own programs. We have flyers and other information posted throughout the center. So lots of different ways. Um, One of my colleagues was saying, be sure to include that, Lise. When I'm trying to encourage someone to be brave and try things out, I describe the support center and its programs as like a runaway truck ramp in the mountains. Are you all familiar with those, with the (laughs) big, big berms of sand so that if a truck is careening out of control or its brakes are super hot, there's a place for the driver to pull off that's going to slow it down. And I think, know that we're here because there may come a time when you need some help slowing down. There may come a time when it's meaningful to try something new or different. So if nothing else, think of us as a runaway truck ramp. That is a good way to look at it. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a good way to look at it. Um, You, you, uh, and and as you know, this this uh, ramp and truck has you know many different tires and models and uh, and speeds that come at us. And a lot of times, how we deal with death and dying and serious illness depends upon you know how we see it, where we are, where we stand. And we come from different yes. backgrounds and beliefs, socioeconomic areas. We deal with different faiths and cultures as it relates to that. And you uh, had some work where you were helping educate staff around end-of-life issues in terms of how they interact with it. Can you talk with us about that training and, and some of the takeaways that you had from it? Sure. And I'm really glad you asked that question because you're right. There is so much variety in the human experience. And There's no way we can possibly know where someone else is, especially if we're basing our assumption on a piece of information about the person. For example, we may know that they are Jewish. We may know that they are Muslim. We may know that they are Christian or even specifically that they are Catholic or Presbyterian. But we don't know what that means for them. We don't know if they're tied into a faith community. We don't know what their particular rites and rituals might be and what their individual preferences are. So I would say the biggest tool is curiosity. It's learning how to ask questions and what kinds of questions we might ask about. That is, tell me more about who should be at the bedside? Who do you need to have here? Is it close family? Does gender matter? Is it clergy? Um, Could we talk for a few minutes about arrangements? Is there a particular time frame that we need to be working in according to your faith tradition? For example, some people may need to be buried by sundown, but that may not be the time frame that hospital staff is used to performing all the tasks in. Yeah. And so 
knowing what is dear to the family helps the staff reframe how do we provide all the care steps that we need to provide here. And it may be that certain people need to be involved in the care of a body after death. It may be that certain prayers need to be said or that certain people need to be present or or not present, that this is something that this particular subgroup of people tends to. But we don't know unless we ask. So again, knowing time frame, knowing who should be involved, knowing is there clergy we might contact? Are there important people in your life that you would like to have here present? Knowing how to ask those kinds of questions gets us information that is specific to that patient and family so that we really can meet them where they are and honor what Cone Health's kind of mission and brand promises right now to be right here with you. And that is so important. And one of the things that I had not planned to ask, but I'm going to just ask you, you know, we talked about families and, and patients who have support. How do you provide support to staff who are uh, who are doctors and nurses and, and caregivers within uh, Cone, uh, Cone Health Cancer Center? Oh, I love that you're thinking about staff because in some ways, I think my role as a chaplain is even more focused on staff care than many other positions are able to be. So lots of different ways. You know, in non-COVID times, I would round on staff and just check in with people and say hi and see how they're doing. And as I build a relationship, people then feel free when they're having a bad day or they've stumbled into something rough or, you know, something with someone they've been close to has changed recently. Then they feel free to say, oh, man, Lisa, let me tell you what's going on. When with COVID, it looks a little bit different, but when COVID first started, I created a an online series. I sent out a, a kind of a caring email every week and I used a quote and a photograph or a silly illustration that I did, something that would be inspiring and would demonstrate to people, to our staff, I'm right here with you too. And so that was great because people would respond by email. I, you know, I was fine about the pandemic until I couldn't find any toilet paper and then I lost my mind. You know, I hit the, I, <laughs> now we're I, getting, I hit now we're getting my, serious. now we're getting serious, you know, <laughs> and, and it's, it's so helpful to have that person you can get serious with. It's also so helpful to have that person you can laugh with and be goofy with. And so I try to straddle that line because Tears and laughter are both so essential in life and in coping, especially within the really high-contact, high-touch world of healthcare. Yeah, and I, I, and as we're taping this, we are we're going through COVID, and as you are have been alluding to, is that it's impacting us in so many different ways in terms of not only service delivery but our personal interactions, in terms of our anxiety levels and our hopes and aspirations, along with having to deal in some cases with with significant health issues and health crisis in a way that uh we all we all need to be there for each other. And so I appreciate the fact that you've you've laid out some of these things in terms of what the cancer center does and and your role as a clinical chaplain and we definitely appreciate the idea of of the support network that you have there at Cone in terms of supporting families and patients and staff and the role that the chaplaincy program plays there at the hospital. 
If the public wanted to get more information about the, the chaplaincy program or if they were at the cancer center, for example, and they need, needed or wanted to reach out to you all, how would be the best way to do that? If they're at the cancer center, that's really easy. They can ask any staff to page the chaplain. <laughs> and I always have a pager on me, so I'm, I'm easy to reach anywhere I am. Awesome. If someone is out in the community, it's easy to call the main cancer center number and ask for the chaplain, and their call will get routed straight to my desk phone. And then if I'm not available, people can leave me a, a private message, the only one who listens to it. And um, that can bring a little comfort, too, when people are being brave. And we'll have show notes and translations of the podcast and have all that additional information linked in for the public. Lisa, thank you so much for what you do and who you are. And thank you for uh, for being here on behalf of Carly and myself. We would like to appreciate you for being a part of the Good Grief podcast. Thank you so much. And as listeners are sitting with all that we've discussed today, I just wish them every blessing in their process and want to name that no matter how it feels today, it won't always feel that way. And we stand in the place of hope that it will continue to get different and you will continue to heal over time and your load will lighten. And we're right here with you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Good Grief Podcast. We want your feedback. You can visit our website at www.guilforddeeds.com. You can also email us at endoflife at guilfordcountync.gov or find us on Twitter with the handle at guilford underscore ROD. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and until next time, take care.